0: Hello and welcome to Biopod, the official podcast from the School of Biological Sciences here at the University of Edinburgh. In this set of episodes we're looking back at COP26 from the perspective of the researchers who are there and the researchers who work to tackle the problems we face due to climate change. Today we have focused on the latter with our insightful guest Dr Alice Richardson, lecturer in molecular plant biology, here to talk to us about food security welcome to the podcast Dr Richardson
1: thank you for having me
0: talking about food security what is it and why should we worry about it
1: um, so food security is all about making sure that everyone on the planet has adequate nutritious food available um, and it's something that we struggle with now so a lot of people um, even in the UK struggle to get access to food but we have huge inequalities. So we have some countries that have an obesity epidemic. So there's higher levels of malnutrition because people aren't eating um, properly. And then there are a high levels of malnutrition in some countries because people are starving. So we're not very good at uh, distributing the food properly at the moment. And this is only gonna get worse with um, climate change. It's making um, yield crops um, much less consistent. We can't predict them as well. Um, Our transportation is challenged as well with extreme weather climates. They can get stuck in ports, for example, and everything can get destroyed in that place. So we need to start thinking about how we can improve um, food production, food transport and food usage to be able to make sure that everyone has a healthy and happy future. Um, Especially as the the population is about, to well, in 2050, it's projected to hit 9.7 billion. So we've got a lot of people to feed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, just th- before we move on, uh, so you're talking about we have a lot of people, uh, depending on the growth and depending on the resources used, surely the amount of people in different places has different effects. So say the increase in population in, 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 for example, Britain or the US have a much higher effect than say the increase in population in other countries.
1: That's an interesting question. So one of the major things that we're actually finding is that the increase in people in urban areas where food isn't produced and the decrease in people in um, agricultural areas or um, rural areas where food is produced is causing more of a problem because we have to transport our food much longer distances and we've got fewer people who have the skills and expertise to actually grow the food in the first place. Um, So it's not necessarily just the increase in people, it's also the distribution of people within within a country.
0: Okay. Well, Speaking of this, this is one of the key topics of COP26 and of climate conferences at the moment in general. Uh, this was raised initially in 2017 at COP23 in Fiji. Uh, it's called the Corona via. I'm butchering that pronunciation. Uh, workshop, <laughs> and they've been doing uh, workshops and, co- and meetings each each conference about this topic to improve food security. Mm-hmm. You're, uh, were you involved in any of these topics at COP26, and has this influenced your work at
1: all? I wasn't personally involved in the workshops. So I'm still too new as an as a independent researcher to be involved in these kinds of conversations. But what I was doing during COP26 is trying to get um, more of the word out there about what food security is, why we should all care about it, not just um, the preconception that only people in countries where they've already got famine should worry about it. Um, and what we can do in our everyday lives, but also in our research to help improve food security. So I was involved in, um, well, I was helped by a very great team um, at the Institute of Molecular Plant Sciences and the University of Edinburgh to do one of the uh, Changing World Conversations on YouTube, which was a live um, Q&A session basically with the public, um, with a panel of, of experts from the University of Edinburgh discussing food security and, and what's ha- going to happen with the future of food
0: interesting when people talk about uh, climate change uh, in the news online we usually hear about the human cost but we don't hear about the agricultural side or the supply side effects it's going to have uh, so to get the conversation out there to get people engaging in it, it is a wonderful thing to be doing how mm-hmm. do you see environmental issues affecting crop production either locally or abroad
1: It's going to negatively impact them, (laughs) is the simple answer. Um, I mean, we've even seen it in the UK, right? More extreme weather conditions. So our crops have been bred in the UK to deal with kind of a slightly wet, slightly warm sometimes climate, Um, but we're getting more extremes. So we're getting um, later snowfalls, later frosts, but we're also getting extreme droughts in the summer as well. Our crop plants were not designed to deal with this. So we're even seeing losses in the UK currently because of these extreme events, but it's only going to get worse if we don't do something about the climate. Um, and as you would have heard from the news last year in America, there were huge tornadoes, strong hurricanes, massive flooding, and there's been extreme snowfall this year as well. So <laughs> it's, it's affecting everyone, not just countries um, like low-lying islands that are suffering from tidal waves and things now as well.
0: So how can we tackle those issues or specifically how does the research at the University of Edinburgh tackle those issues from the plant side of things, not from the climate change side?
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, well, the interesting thing is that there's only 50 percent of um, agricultural land that we use and um, 83 percent of global calories are produced by plants, but they only use 23 percent of the land that's agricultural. So they're actually a massive um, tool that we can use to help with food security. And by understanding how plants um, grow and develop, we can understand how yield happens. So what parts of the plant are we eat, eating? how do they grow? Um, and then we can try and use the tools that we have available to improve how they grow to produce more of what we need um, using fewer resources. We're also looking into um, nutrition contents. So we've got a new researcher who's working on how nutrients are mobilized around the plant and where are they stored. And also an, a major thing that we have to deal with is um, diseases so with climate change we're getting new diseases moving into new ranges that we haven't previously had to deal with and so we really need to understand how our plants interact with their biotic and abiotic environments so the weather itself but also the um, diseases and parasites that we have and um, can we use that knowledge to help the plants protect themselves. Um, to then reduce yield losses due to the plants being damaged in that case. So we're working on all of these different areas, and mostly in the department we're working on more of the fundamental research to understand the rules behind this, because we just don't know at the moment. Um, but there's lots of great collaborations with Shruck um, where they're doing the more applied aspect. Uh, so what's Um, The Scottish Rural University College.
0: Okay, so you work quite strongly with the agricultural research and in the university as from the molecular plant sciences side,
1: yeah, there's various um, groups in the institute that have very close working relationships with them.
0: Okay, uh, to ask you specifically, what how does your research intersect with this topic? <laughs>
1: so my lab is really interested in understanding how plants grow so we're interested in saying um okay so we are looking at corn how does that grow um what does it look like under different conditions um what are the genes and the rules that determine the shape of the plant and how does that affect how much corn it produces um but maybe we should start thinking about Um, what we use the plants for as well. So corn is also used as an energy crop so they can use the stalks of maize plants to produce biofuel. Um, So if we're growing plants for that, what characteristics do we actually want for that? We focus so much on the corn, the cob itself. Why are we not looking at the stalk as well? So looking at the rules that control the different aspects of plant development can help us understand how to improve the plants for specific products so that we can be more um, effective in what we're, we're growing.
0: I say also in the context of using a corn for biofuels is that using the so that's an example of something which is food competitive so taking something we would use typically for eating yeah. and using it for materials instead which itself has its own uh topic and debate uh, yeah
1: so Definitely. this is more
0: my this is stuff I work in so I, I, I've been reading <laughs> too much about this um, so I, I find it quite interesting how uh, some crops have been developed or production streams so we don't Use uh, the part of the crop we use for food for something else. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if we, we don't use uh, sugar producing crops, we don't use a sugar part to create biofuels, we use the uh, plant matter left over instead, which is the terms for it are like primary and secondary biomass. And if yeah. we use the plant matter left over instead of burning it or giving it to animal feed, we use it for plastic materials, things like that. That's also another way we can uh, improve <laughs> our biomass recycling production streams that's the, that's the phrase.
1: <laughs> yeah exactly because we can't we can't stop growing plants to grow for food to then transfer it into another product that we need and with sustainable products becoming such a big focus for us um we need to start thinking about how we use plants smartly so um another way of doing this is growing things together so that they can help each other or generating plants that have benefits for both the leftover biomass, as you say, for producing things like plastics and the food products that we need as well.
0: Excellent. So what are we doing here in Scotland locally about food security?
1: Um, I think there's an awful lot of work going on. Um, The Edinburgh Plant Science Network has got a lot of research that's working on um, how plants interact with the environment, how plants interact with pathogens, how they grow, what yields they have. How can we improve quality so that we're not throwing away so much of the food that we produce? Um, There is also a lot of research in um, whiskey production, obviously, in Scotland, (laughs) and that's using um, how can we take the best quality grain or optimize that and generate good products at the end of it um, without having to shift a lot of uh, the yield that we have into animal feed instead. Um, There are also researchers um, that are looking at biodiversity, so how can um, biodiversity help things like insect pollinators? I guess you've probably seen um, David Attenborough's Green Planet and in the last episode, he was talking about huge monocultures. So the example was the um, almond orchards in California and how that they weren't growing anything but almonds for a great, <laughs> great large distances. And it meant that the pollinators just weren't there. So having to reintroduce biodiversity into those environments to be able to help um, with agricultural production, reduce costs, make things more uniform and help um, with the insect population itself
0: there's also lots of research on that ah, excellent so yeah because scotland's got such a wonderful biosphere we've got the lovely highlands you've got so many unique areas speak about it through whiskey um, there's <laughs> so many unique regions which uh, so whiskey uses peat uh burning gives it a smoke gives it its flavor and that's something which is currently a limited resource or something which is running out because it's used so much mm-hmm. and it's in so many distinct places and we've touched on in the podcast before actually the efforts to at least monitor peat usage and try and recover or Mm -hmm. reduce the damage we're doing to the environment from uh, the amount we're harvesting.
1: Yeah at COP26 they actually announced a a fantastic program that Edinburgh University is involved in which is um, rehabilitating the peat box um, to to use them as a carbon store effectively.
0: Excellent Uh, do you think that COP26 being hosted in Scotland really put a shine on all these issues all happening here in Scotland?
1: I think so. I think it gave people the chance to have a voice about it. Um, having it local means that you can actually attend and you can see people that you have seen around the university or through outreach activities. So I think it might have inspired younger people in Scotland as well that they have a voice in this.
0: I did enjoy the amount of Americans who claimed it was happening in Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> they saw quite That's a lot.
1: They were staying in Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, So how do you see the role of your research in context of climate change after COP26? Do you think it's changed at all?
1: That's a really good question. I don't think my research itself has directly changed because I don't work necessarily on the applied end of research, but I feel like um, there may be a shift towards looking at plant science as being something that is an important tool in our combat for achieving COP26 aims. Um, plant science is unfortunately one of those topics that a lot of people think are quite boring because at school it's not the most favourite topic. <laughs> um, and so that's something that we're trying to change. So I think it's more the outreach work that we've been doing has been shifted slightly by COP26 in that we've got this um, drive now to, to really push forward. Plant sciences as something that's important that everyone should consider because everyone eats food and everyone needs plants to have food.
0: No, I, I, I absolutely agree. I'm a, so I should point out I'm a plant sciences PhD, so I'm a little bit biased. <laughs> Put an over-clear bias here. I agree. One of my favourite stories, especially when I was becoming a researcher, was uh, where researchers developed a crop which was a foot shorter than usual. And it means you can grow, what is it, 20, 50% more of that crop compared to usual? And that man is known to save millions of lives simply because he's developed a better, more efficient crop. The stories just inspired me
1: to go into plant research yeah um, norman Borlaug was a an incredible geneticist and he was just growing plants in his field in mexico and looking at them and he noticed that his wheat plants um he had a variety that ended up being shorter and um, it produced a higher yield and reduced lodging which is when plants fall over either breakage through the stem or the root structure um, due to high wind or heavy rain and we lose about 40 percent of crop yield through that so it was a fairly revolutionary, and when they found that the genes that controlled that shortening of the plant are conserved across other cereals, it was then freely transferred to um, breeding programs for rice, barley, and oats. Um, so we were able to generate dwarf varieties very quickly, and they um, The quote that a lot of uh, plant scientists will say is, um, if you want to save hundreds of people, become a doctor. If you want to save billions of people, become a plant scientist.
0: I think that was a phrase which genuinely got me into a plant science PhD. (laughs) (laughs) So what was his name again?
1: Norman Borlaug. He won the Nobel Prize in, I think, 1970.
0: Understandably, yes. (laughs) Excellent. So I'm going to move on to some of my final questions now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think COP26 was successful and what is next? for agricultural research
1: yeah so cop 26 is it successful i think that is a difficult question to answer everyone has their personal opinions about it um i have a lot of hope that it's raised enough awareness that we will start making changes radical changes to what we do and how we perceive the world um and i have seen um a lot of change and support from funding agencies so we already had quite a good support in the UK for agricultural research um, but there are new um, programs that are being announced to support research at all levels of food um, production so not just the plants that we grow and how we grow them but also the transportation and the storage and how we use them at the end Um, and we need to address all these different areas to be able to Actively help and help quickly um, because it can take a long time to generate a new variety of plant to grow for food. So, being able to deal with the things that how we're we using food at home and reducing the waste there um, can buy us some time whilst the research is going on at the other end.
0: Ah, excellent. Can you? So, we're now six months on, so this is COP26 a well while back. Um, do you expect to see many effects this soon, or uh, should we be more patient to uh, whether we? try and decide the success of the 26 or not?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. Should we expect results now? I think we should expect a change in voice from uh, governing parties um, regarding what is important about the environment and how we should tackle that. And having a stronger um, leadership on that, I think is really important. And we should be seeing that now. Um, Research-wise, It takes time. (laughs) And any effects um, from COP26, researchers have already been working on a lot of these questions. So new things will be coming out over time. But anything that's been initiated by COP26, it will take a few years before we see that. I
0: was going to say it does feel like the conversation has shifted most certainly just in terms of I don't see the doubt uh, that I saw growing up about climate change or is this Mm -hmm. actually happening or do people need these help? It's less, should we do something? And now what do we do? And I think that has been a very important shift in the conversation, what feels like in the last few years
1: mm-hmm.
0: as well. I can understand why people can get prepared. COP26. Uh, looking at the roadmap from the workshop, the, the, first, the first main point is we'll have another meeting. Is... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'll just quickly, before we finish, just go through. I've got the document up here of the actual agreements from COP26. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's all these main things and we've touched upon many of these today. So first one, have another meeting next time. Uh, Second is assessing adaptation, adaptation benefits and resilience of crops. Mm -hmm. Uh, Soil carbon, soil health, soil fertility, uh, nutrient use and manure management. That's more, I guess, towards animals because the next point is livestock. They are Mm -hmm. using uh, most of the land, and finally, the socioeconomic and food security dimensions of climate change. Mm-hmm. So these topics are being covered, what looks like, in extensive detail, and they are being discussed at the highest levels. So we'll just have to see if they're integrated into the policy or not, but that's not something I can accurately assess.
1: <laughs> that's true. But there is a lot of research, and the Roslyn Institute works on livestock, um, and we had someone on the panel who who is an expert in livestock research, and they're doing incredible things to look at the... Um, the sustainability of livestock production because we can't just survive on plants um i don't think anyone will be happy with that <laughs> that recommendation and i think that animal production is really important because there are parts of our agricultural land that are not suitable for plant production um, for, for us to eat we're great at growing grass for example in the lake district <laughs> um, but it's not so because of the incline of the hills they're not so great for growing cereals so in environments like that Livestock does have an
0: important role to play. Excellent. You've just preempted one of my uh, last (laughs) questions, which is uh, some of the recommendations you will get multiple times about climate change is we should all be vegan. But (laughs) as I'm a flexitarian myself, meat has a both cultural and social importance. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but as you said, it takes advantage of land we can't use, and not only that, animals provide many materials we need apart from food anyway. So Mm -hmm. I don't see it being something we don't use in the near future or, or being a realistic possibility i say yes definitely. I, I mean the the advent of plant-based materials or plant-based foods uh, or even lab-grown meat is exciting and interesting but until that becomes something viable or something more widespread like a greg sausage roll which is vegan <laughs> i don't see it being in these uh, a primary focus of these strategies
1: i think it's hard to ask people to change their entire lifestyle and way of um eating. Um, we don't just eat because we need fuel. In that case, we would have all taken up on the multivitamin shakes that were advertised years ago. <laughs> we would not
0: sponsoring coffee. anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, but we eat because we enjoy the experience as well. Um, but also I think we can't say meat is bad in every respect. It does provide nutrients that we can't get from plants necessarily. Um there are certain vitamins that we can't get from plant-based products and plant-based protein um, but one of the disadvantages of livestock is that we've been managing our land poorly um, and so cutting down rainforest, for example for um for cattle production that is not helping the planet <laughs> and it means and the land is not managed in such a way that it's it's sustainable afterwards so just more land more trees get cut down to make more land so I think um, changing how we um, manage the land when we have got livestock on it will help a great deal in reducing the negative impacts that we have having livestock there Um, but there is a lot of research that if you have a couple of days a week where you only eat vegetables (laughs) it can be beneficial um, just on demand if nothing else as well
0: I definitely remember, I think growing up, always got told to eat more vegetables and fruits, so I should probably follow that (laughs) advice. What do you think is important for academics moving on from COP26 and tackling food security?
1: I think it's collaboration. So we can't answer this alone. So researchers need to work together from different fields to work out um, what the best way forward is. We also need to... um, maintain an open level of communication with farmers and people who eat food and people who transport food and store it Um, because there's no point us coming up with a miracle plant if no one wants to eat it or grow it.
0: (laughs) Thank you Um, one final final question Um, is your work as you become a PI now from being an independent researcher as a postdoc or PhD do you find yourself being much more involved in the policy of your research rather than the scientific aspect of it?
1: Um, that's interesting. I am really interested in the policy side of it. Um, I'm a scientist because I am curious and I want to know how things work, but I also want to provide a benefit to people. Um, I do that through teaching and through the outreach that we do. Um, but also I think it's really important that the research that we do is effectively communicated to everyone who can make a difference and politicians are in a position to make a big difference in that. And um, So yeah, I am interested in how they translate what we tell them into policy.
0: Okay, thank you. That's all I have for you. Thank you for your time, <laughs> Dr Richardson, especially for highlighting a topic which is really widely talked about considering climate change. So this has been a fantastic discussion for that. Thank you as well, dear listeners. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you find it. And follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Biopod Edinburgh. Otherwise, enjoy your day, and we'll see you next time.